Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And then there's only one judge, and we know who that judge is. It would be God. Now, I think everyone here would honestly agree that he would be the right one to judge. Well, for one reason, he's the one who gave the law. He's the one who said that was right or wrong. And that person stepped out of bounds. He's the one who knows all. He sees all. He knows the heart. He knows the motives. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen. And so he's the right one to do it. And besides all that, he's the best one that can help them. And by us criticizing them or speaking against that person often puts ourselves up in the same role as being a God, and we're not the lawgiver, and the judge, and we're not God. And so again, the point is it's really unjustified, and we ought not to do that. And I, and I hope that our church would continue to move in a direction to let God and that person fight it out. We just want to be available as God's instrument to help them at the appropriate time so that we would add value to their life. Well, here's a question. All right. When is it where I can begin to judge other people? When is it? When is it wrong to do it? When is it right to do it? Now, I'm going to go through these seven, and I'm going to go through them quite rapidly. What I've done for you is to give you a list of verses so that you on your own, in your own quiet time, can go through these verses. Should you do that, let me encourage you to do more than just the verse I gave you. Read the chapter ahead of it, the chapter after it, understand the concept of the book, and it will give you a whole lot more nitroglycerin behind that verse of power and understanding. But let's begin. When is it wrong to judge others? It is wrong to judge others, first of all, when I'm practicing the same sin. Let me read to you the verse. It says this, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge others, you're condemning yourself for you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now we know that God's judgment on those who do such things was based on truth. So when you, a mere man, judges uh, on them, puts a judgment on them, and yet you do the same thing, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Obviously not. Simply stated is this. When we begin to judge other people, we have to be very careful because often... I'm not a psychologist, but it seems like that when we judge someone, what we see wrong in their life, it's already wrong in our life. I don't know it's because we're so familiar with the sin ourselves, we're living in this own problem issue, that we're able to see it in other people. That's not necessarily so wrong when we see it in other people, because it might be able to be a motivator to us. Ooh, Look what they're doing, and, and I, I've got this in my life, and I see how it's hindering relationships. I see how it's hindering their walk with God, and man, I don't want that to happen to me, and so I humble myself, and I do business with God in this issue. But unfortunately, our nature takes over, and we now say, they're doing that, and so they shouldn't be doing that. And all of a sudden, again, we get our eyes off our problem and back on them. And so if we want to have real integrity before we ever think about going to someone else, let's personally humble ourselves and let God and us work it out so that we would have victory in that area. And victory is easy to have with the Lord. Number two, it's wrong when it blinds me to my own faults. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. I think you knew this one was coming. Let me read this to you. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? 
First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. Now, most of you know my sweet wife, and she is a doer task type person. There's no task. Carol would paint, she'd saw, she'd hammer, she'd fix things. That's just Carol. But let's say one day Carol is working with a saw, and in the midst of doing the saw, she gets a little bit of sawdust in her eye, and so she can't get it out, and it's really bothering. It's getting all kind of, you know, ooey-gooey kind of thing. And she comes to me, and she says, Hey, I got a speck in my eye. How easy do you think... I could really help Carol if I come up to her with one of these things sticking out of my eye. This is finally why it was up here. And I'm now trying to take it out of her eye. Now you know how ridiculous that is. But there are a lot of people that they think they can see the problems in other people when at the same time they've got their own plank in their own eye. And maybe it would do all of us a great deal of service if we would accept the fact that people are at different stages of growth so they've had little victories but God's not finished with them yet So we're going to try to be as humble and as available as we can to be the right person, the kind person that will speak grace and truth. But when we do, we're going to want to make sure that we've taken all the sawdust and all the planks out of our life, we're working on our life, that we can come alongside and help them. And perhaps then we'd have a lot more energy, creativity, and joy as we see our planks coming out of our life So we'll be able to help someone else with their life. All right, let's look at number three. It's wrong to judge others when it makes me draw conclusions based on outward appearance. Now, Jesus was really speaking to these guys a lot about himself. But here's what he says. Stop judging by mere appearance and make a right judgment. That's a neat verse because it's not condemning judgment. It's just saying, if you're going to judge, make it to be a right judgment. One judgment is when we get so legalistic and we're going to be so righteous and we're going to be so much on thinking we're on God's side and we begin to really condemn the other person. They should know better. They had all this. We really go after them. That's going to be called judgment on legalism. The other side that's wrong is when we begin to judge other people merely on appearance. We don't know what's going on in their heart. We do not know what their motives are. We hardly know them. But if we see certain things about them, we just think they must be very godly because they carry the right Bible. They must be very godly because they come to church every Sunday. That's judging them on appearance. Sometimes when we see them do something that's wrong, all of a sudden we condemn them based on their appearance, the clothes that they wear, how they act. And so God says, be very careful that we don't just judge them merely on appearance. Here's number four. When I condemn someone before I hear the facts. How many of you have found yourself making a judgment, an analyzation, and a criticism on someone only to very shortly hear more facts about that situation, and then have to eat humble pie. It happens to me. I'm telling you, this is one that I need to learn. Now, let me speak to this issue. Most of us in our world, when we hear a lot about the legal profession, sometimes we get a little frustrated when there's a court case going on. It's actually going on. And we think, it takes so long. When are they ever going to get this thing done? I know that's pretty hard in our legal system, but think about it with me for just a moment. Why does it go on? For a moment, why do you think it goes on? Often it takes so long is because, first of all, they want to make sure that the right evidence is brought into the case. Then they have to question the veracity of that evidence. Then they have a witness. They have to check the facts about that witness. What his motives were? Did he really see what he saw? Is he really giving the facts as he's seen it? Who else has seen it with it? Bottom line is this. They 
in the legal profession are trying to establish in the midst of all of this confusion and the nature of people not telling the whole truth, they're trying to find the truth and the facts. It might be good for us sometimes to accept that legal profession standard. And before we place a judgment on someone, to spend a lot more time doing the research behind it to fully understand what's going on before a judgment would be called. And frankly, if we did that, we probably would get worn out and give it all up and say, God, you know what? You're the judge. You take care of them if we did that. Let's look at this verse here. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, talking to the Sanhedrin, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? So the point simply being this is, the truth is established with two or three witnesses, so make sure that you hear all the facts. All right, number five. When is it wrong? When I judge someone on the basis of their outward religious observances. And of course, there's many passages about that. Sometimes we look at their outward life and we judge them based on that. And God says that is so wrong to do and we ought not to do that. And I hope that we don't. But let me read to you Colossians 2.16. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat, drink, or regard to religious festivals or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. Reality, however, is found in Christ. I really like that verse because it talks about us not judging another person based on diet or drink or days because that person is beginning to sort out his own walk with God and learning who he is. It's almost like two guys that go to a I love my church banquet and one guy's at the banquet and he's just chomping down on this huge turkey leg and there's a friend next to him who's a vegetarian and he says, how in the world can you eat that turkey like this? I'm a vegetarian. And the guy and he looks at the vegetarian friend and says, you know, I thought all vegetarians were kooks. And this guy over here says, and I thought all you guys that eat turkey, you're kooks. And all of a sudden, a fight breaks out. You know, we have a young lady in our church here that eats more vegetables. In fact, she's a vegetarian. She doesn't do it for spiritual reasons. She doesn't think she's better than any of you that eat meat. In fact, she encourages you. If you came to her house, she'd probably make you meat because she loves you. But the reason she doesn't have meat because she's healthier than you it's because God gave her a body that cannot eat the meat and some of those dairy products that the rest of us have now that woman has got it right but those who might judge that person you then would have it wrong and that's a small part of a bigger principle and that simply is judging someone else based on the outward signs of their religious convictions and observances let's look at number six six out of seven of when it's wrong to judge someone it's wrong when it causes me to speak evil of another Christian when I begin to speak evil really of anybody but particularly of a brother or sister in the Lord let's look at the verse again it says Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. Do you see that phrase that says speaks against the law or speaks against his brother? Do you know that word speaks against is often translated differently in the New Testament? And it's a word we hardly use, but we know it's a very important word. It's the word blaspheme. So it says anyone who blasphemes the law or blasphemes his brother, that's what it means, evilly speak against them. It's really wrong to do that. And we need to be very careful that we don't speak evil of a brother or a sister. Now, most of you know that the church is known as the body of Christ, like a body. And he uses a human body many times in Scripture, the New Testament. Let's say that my arm represents one of my brothers in Christ here in this church. And this arm over here represents me. Now, instead of evilly speaking against this arm, I'm going to take a verbal jab at that person. Every time I do that, that hurts. But I also have to tell you, I'm connected to the body. When I hurt this body, it's hurting the whole body. And after a while, this arm might not hurt, 
but it is feeling the effects because once this gets so hurt, this arm, I'm not able to run on all eight cylinders. When you speak against another brother or sister, let's say in this church, when you do that, do you know that it's hindering the rest of us? You think that you're better because you're condemning them or you're more righteous because you see more wrong in the other person. When you begin to do that inappropriately and you handle it inappropriately, believe it or not, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Now let me put this in practice. Those of you that continue in sin and you want to know why people are judging you, you're part of the same problem too. So maybe if you don't like people judging you, it might be where they, you need to humble yourself and clean up your act. It's not right that they do that, and that, but I hurt for you. So don't look at them and condemn them for speaking. Maybe for you and the Lord, just humble yourself and say, do I really need all this aggravation? I really want to be right with the Lord. He's got a wonderful life for me and I want to know what it is. Here's number seven. When is it wrong to judge? When I judge other people's motives and question why they do what they do. That's one thing we'll never know is that other person's motives. We might think we know, and sometimes we'll be pretty close to knowing, especially if we've been around them a long time and we've got a chance to hear them and talk to them, watch them walk and talk. But in most cases, we still don't know what is behind them. Folks, have you ever heard this phrase, hurting people hurt people? Maybe we're judging someone who's hurting others, and the very fact is they're hurting themselves. And we might need to come alongside them just to encourage them. Listen to this verse. It says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what's hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the men's hearts. We have no right. Stop judging someone else until God takes over because he's the righteous judge. So when you speak against another person, a husband, a wife, your kids, your parents, a Bible study teacher, leadership in the church, when you share it even with your wife or your family or husband, do you know God sees all of that and he grieves and he looks at you and he says, and you think you're so spiritual. He says, stop that. He says, I want you to reach your full potential. And that one part, you've got a lot of good parts, but that one part is hindering you from going to that next level. So how do you break it? These are three quick ones. I told you, if you got the rest, these will come pretty quickly. You'll, you'll want to have ownership and you'll say, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready, pastor. What do I need to do? Number one. Remember that you will be judged by the same standards that you judge someone else. So if you think you're righteous and you're better for them, I'll tell you this. You may be more accurate. You might be living more, more biblical in the area that the other person is not. Did you catch that? But at the same time, because you've judged them and you've verbalized your judgment to someone else, you're just as guilty as they are. It's just a different disease. That's all. Look what it says here. Do not judge others so that God will not judge you, implying that God will judge you if you continue to judge others. For God will judge you in the same way you judge others, and he will apply to you the same rules you apply to others. Matthew chapter 7. So be very, very careful of that. Number two, remember or take ownership of that each of us is accountable to God. And the verse simply says, every one of us then will have to give an account of himself to the Lord, to God, so then let us stop judging one another. Isn't that interesting how in one verse it talks about giving an account, and quickly it says, so then don't judge. Now I look at that from two perspectives. The first perspective is this. I'm going to have to give an account of myself because I've chosen to verbalize a statement of condemnation about another brother or sister. God heard me. God knows my heart. And I'm going to have to give an account of that because I've wasted time. I've hindered the work of God. My relationship and my intimacy is suffering. I have to give an account. But can I throw to you another way too that might help you? 
While you want to use that as a governor in your life, not to be so accountable to the Lord over your own sin, what you might do is when you see somebody doing something, instead of verbalizing it to someone else, you then say, you know what? That verse works for that person too. He is going to have to give an account to the Lord. The Lord already sees him. So Lord, why don't you and that person work it out? And Lord, I'm going to make myself available in any way that I can to be clean and close to you as a servant to that person to help them. So Lord, they're going to have to give an account. And so now I'm not going to let how that person acted or how they treated me and get bitter about it and get retaliatory about it. I'm going to say, Lord, they have to give an account to you. I give them to you in love, not Lord, get them, sick them, but Lord, I give them to you and let me know how I can help. And finally, number three, we take ownership by remembering how much God, this is the, the dessert at the end of the message. God has been merciful to you and to me. Notice the verse, James 2.13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Or you could say mercy trumps judgment. And so here's where we're going to come with that. Let's take it full circle now. You have God up in heaven and he's the one who wrote the law. He's the one who has the right to judge. And he looks down at us. And it is true, he could really severely discipline us. And he probably will when we live in continued sin because he wants us right. But at the same time, notice what he chooses to use. He chooses to use the velvet glove. He chooses to put the hammer in something soft so that he would get our attention in a way that we'd be merciful. So he says, I'll be merciful. Now, folks, think about it from God's perspective towards you and me. God says, I know that you have sinned, but I love you so much. And I'm going to use my mercy to bring you to me. Now, if God can give me mercy and I've trusted Christ as Savior and I'm a partaker of his divine nature, then God who is merciful can give me his mercy through the exchange life to look at the people that are around me. So instead of being so condemnatory about their ethnic background, so condemnatory about how they talk or how they act or how they treat other people or how they live their life, what we're going to do then is back off on the negativity, give it up to the Lord, and through his mercy, we're going to trump judgment on those people by giving them great mercy. God's mercy to those people. And when we do, do you know we could actually be, this is so cool, we could actually be an instrument in God's hand to help that other person? I know some are so distant because they're so far away, but our heart will be right and God will use us in a mighty way. I want to end with this story of the tragedy of someone who chose to ignore a message just like this. It happened in the Dakotas. I think it was in South Dakota, the illustration. I read this. True story, by the way. There's a wonderful family, like many of our families right here, the younger families. The father and the mother loved each other and, and had two children. One was a little bit older and one was very, very young. And it was so exciting that the neighbors would watch in this little, you know how it is in those kind of country communities. The father would drive in with his pickup truck and the mom would be there and would walk down the path. His dad would open the gate as he would come in and a little girl would run alongside and she'd carry the three and a half year old in her arm and everybody would hug on dad and they'd kiss each other and the neighbors would talk about how that they would watch dad play with the kids because the yard was there and they'd see him just have a good time there was a lot of laughter and cookouts and all of that well after about a year and a half there was an ugly nasty rumor and the rumor went something like this that that man was having an affair in the community the wife heard about it one day the husband came home and there was no one to meet him at the, at the gate. He went inside and there was an eerie silence. The SUV was still parked in the driveway. So he looked through the house and he couldn't find his family. He went downstairs in the basement. His two kids were hanging. 
and his wife had committed suicide and left a note, how could you do this? It wasn't until after the, after the funeral that the truth came out, that it was just a lie. There was no truth in that. Now, I know that it's a very dramatic, very painful, and I'm sorry to say with the kids here, story. But I want you to know that as dramatic as that is, I'm wondering how many relationships have been wrecked because we have spread something that we kind of saw, we didn't think, we, we, we judged right away. And you know, it hurts the body, it hurts those people, but I love you. And when we get to be that kind of yeah, 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 it hurts you. You. And I love you. And God loves you. Now, if you're going back over your mind and you're realizing that you sent letters and notes and you call people and you've talked about people behind their back to others and you're feeling the weight of that guilt, don't run from it. That's like saying you touched a hot stove. Now use it. Use it properly. Realize, I've blown it. And now God says, okay, I'll heal that. You come to me. Now what you do when you realize that you have sinned in this area and in all other areas, but in this area, you go to him and say, Lord, I know that I missed your mark of perfection. I judged when I shouldn't have judged. I gave judgment instead of mercy. I'm a sinner. And I know that no good deed I do now, even if I cleaned up my act to try to speak better of other people, will still never make me perfect in the future enough to make up for all the sins I've done in the past. I need a completely clean slate. And I know that you love me, Lord, and you went to the cross, and when you died up there, you died for everybody's sins. And remember, the Lord knows a lot about being judged at his kangaroo court. That's why this sin is so despicable. It was basically the almost last sin that was committed right before Jesus went to the cross. When he died up there, he died for your sin and my sin. And he says, now no good deed you have to do will get you into heaven. It's all my mercy. It's all my grace that will forgive you of your sin. So all you have to do now is to accept my forgiveness by placing your faith alone in Jesus Christ. For God so loved you, he says, that he gave his only son, that if you just simply believe in him, you wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. That's how you receive his mercy for eternity. So don't run from the guilt to say, all right, Lord, I'm guilty, but you're going to forgive me of that and you're going to take my place and remove that guilt and I want you to celebrate that. Don't live in that any longer. So simply come to him and say, Lord, I believe you died for me and your blood was shed. You rose again and you'd forgive me of all my sin. You forgave me of my sin in a sense before I ever committed that sin because when you died, it was 2,000 years ago. But now I'm going to have that on my account, full forgiveness for all eternity. So here's what you say to the Lord. Lord, I know I've done things wrong, but I want to thank you for dying on the cross, paying for my sins, and I want to thank you for giving to me eternal life so I can have eternal life in heaven with you, a relationship forever. Mercy trumps judgment. And he says, I will no longer judge you in hell if you receive my mercy by placing your faith alone in Christ. So is there anyone in here today that in your own way you transferred your trust from yourself or nothing or some belief system and you placed it alone only and completely in Christ alright Christians let me speak to you for just a moment as we close I would like to pray for you how many of you know that you wrestle with this demon of judgment and I don't mean a real demon but you know what I mean that you struggle with that propensity that iniquity 
more than perhaps other sins in your life. And you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. And yet you find it as a sweet morsel. And you want to spit it out. God is more powerful than that adverse sin you have in your life. And you can have victory as a Christian. Oh, what it'll do for you. What it'll do for those around you. What it'll do for our community, our island, our church. I want to trump my judging spirit with God's mercy. Now, Father, we come before you now and we thank you that your mercy is the strength that we can draw from to have confidence in you that even in your judgment, it'll be done mercifully and that you have the right to do that. Now, Father, help us as believers, your children. We don't want to chew up our our brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that we all have sin, but, Father, we want to be an instrument in your hand of healing and help, not of warfare. And Father, we meant good, but Father, we know that we don't know everything about the other person, the motives and all the stuff that's behind it. And we don't see them all the time, so we don't know if that person maybe even repented or changed. And yet we're still criticizing them long after they've corrected it. So help us, Father, to be agents of mercy, ministers of mercy, while still remembering that there is right and there is wrong. Now, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.